If you don't have a Bible with you, let me encourage you to grab one under the chairs in front of you. You can find Matthew 6 on page 787. This morning we kick off a new sermon series that'll lead us through and beyond Easter called The Lord's Prayer and Praise. And as I've been preparing for this series, thinking about uh, how to structure it, praying um, that the Lord would use it, my prayer has also been that this would be a time for us as a church to reinforce or newly establish some spiritual fundamentals. Um, Sometimes Christian individuals or churches go about looking for that new thing, the quick fix, the package solution that'll bring about spiritual renewal. I'm in a rut and I need to get out of it and I'm looking for some piece of wisdom, a book, um, the right preacher, a retreat. And sometimes those things can give you a a big jolt in a good way, uh, a jump start, a push in the right direction. But we never outgrow the need for a steady, healthy diet of the fundamentals. And praying to God and praise of God are just that. They're foundational. Just as Ken uh, said in the announcements, we need this series because we need to become more and more of a praying church. We pray, but not nearly enough, not nearly with enough desperate passion that treats prayer as a lifeline, as essential to spiritual living as water is to physical living. We gather every month for kingdom prayer, and on Sunday mornings, this Tuesday, 7.30, uh, the Augsburgers address is in your um, announcements in in the um, handout, but all too often attendance is pretty thin. It's the small skeleton crew that pretty much shows up on a regular basis. And here's the problem. Even if we look good on the surface, if ministries seem to be thriving, if attendance is growing, if we become a prayerless church, we become like a house of cards. Look good on the surface, but when external pressures or internal temptations hit us, we lack the life Uh, sustaining dependence, the access to God's strength to enable us to stand firm and a house of cards with a little bit of a a breath can come crashing down. So when Jesus tells His disciples, this is how you should pray, we need to pay attention. He didn't mean that we should just recite the Lord's Prayer mindlessly and expect results to come about like, like a spiritual formula. Jesus didn't say, this is what you should pray. He said, this is how you should pray. It's a model that needs to shape how we communicate with God. And when we learn to pray more biblically, according to the pattern that Jesus established, it just may be that we'll pray more often with more instinctiveness, with greater passion and greater faith. That's our prayer as we start this. Many of you know the Lord's Prayer. Um, You've recited it. Some of you can pray it along with the congregation with your eyes closed. For some of you, the only stumbling block is that you still want to say trespasses instead of debts, depending on what background you come from, right? We'll get to that phrase in a few weeks. 
But for many Christians, despite its familiarity, it has too little shaping influence on your spiritual life. And that's what we want to recover. Or if you're new to the Christian faith or if you're not yet a Christian, that's what we want to develop in you. The sermon series title has another element, praise. Don't let the different color uh, mislead you into thinking that it's any less important than the prayer in black. Uh, We are adding a few weeks onto the Lord's Prayer to talk about uh, praise uh, and worship, which is not limited to but does include the musical elements of a worship service. And we'll talk about why we do the things we do here on Sunday mornings, but don't be misled into thinking that it's simply a tack-on, that it's something extra, because as we'll see um, just this morning from the first phrase of the Lord's Prayer, biblical prayer always includes, and in this example, starts with praise, a Godward focus, adoration. Let's read Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 9. Listen carefully. These are God's words. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is God's Word. Let's pray. Lord, take these words that for many are so familiar and bring new, refreshing meaning to them. Cause them to penetrate deep into our hearts and change us from the inside out and cause them to stir in us a hunger and a thirst for everything you are. Through Jesus, we pray. Amen. Before we jump in, let me ask one more question. And maybe I'm asking this question on behalf of some of you. How is prayer relevant, especially if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ? You might be here because a friend brought you, a relative asked you to come, and, and you're not a spiritual person, you're not a, a believer in Jesus, um, and you might have prayed a foxhole prayer in desperation, but it's a foreign thing to you. And, and that could be a, a series in and of itself. Um, I, I thought of adding uh, a couple of weeks on the front end to kind of lead us into the Lord's Prayer and, and decided against it for uh, a number of reasons. But in, in very brief, let me just offer one thought. How is prayer relevant? Prayer offers something incredibly unique that I would say every single person is chasing after. Not necessarily in that form, getting on our knees Um, closing our eyes and and speaking to uh, an unseen being, but prayer offers something unique that everyone is looking for, chasing after in life. You know, I'm always surprised at the results of national polls, uh, for example, by Gallup or or Barna, that indicate that uh, how often Americans are praying. It's always higher than I would think because... um, Religious commitment and church participation are clearly on the decline in our country, especially among the younger generation. Why is it that people are still praying um, in in any uh, shape or fashion? Um, I would say it's because, among other reasons, people instinctively 
want to cry out to some higher power, something beyond themselves, because even in today's world, there's a, a real hunger for transcendence. There's, there's a hunger for something bigger than just me and my little world, for, for meaning and purpose that I can't just achieve or generate through the circumstances and decisions of my life. I want hope. I, I, I want to know there's, there's something better out there, especially having lived a number of years long enough to realize uh, that things are not always dreamy. Biblical prayer is not about going through the motions to engineer an outcome. All too often, that's what our secular, technological, mechanized, digitized society is all about. Millions and billions of zeros and ones coded into increasingly complex and portable electronics that fit into our pockets that do just about anything we want them to do. They bring about any information that we want access to have, uh, want access to. Press a button, the results happen. But prayer, it's so different. There's something totally unpredictable and yet organic and intimate and relational about the idea that a mere human being could relate to let alone be heard by, commune with a higher being, let alone the highest being who revealed Himself as Lord and Savior in the Word of God. Well, let's, let's start uh, talking about the prayer. Um, we'll, we'll use three headings to help us get a little bit of context and then walk into the first phrase, okay? First, ignorance and ineptitude. We need teaching. And then access... This is about privilege, and then praise. This is the direction in which we should be pointing. Ignorance and ineptitude. In Luke's gospel account, chapter 11, Jesus shares this prayer in response to His disciples who say, Lord, teach us to pray. You would think that these disciples who already had a vibrant spiritual life would know how to pray. You'd think that these folks who responded with faith to Jesus' teaching that um, helped to clarify with fulfillment all that they had already learned about Old Testament um, teachings, you'd think that prayer would be basic, be something that they had down and moving on to something more advanced. Prayer is simple. They knew how to pray. And yet at the same time, prayer is full of challenges and so often frustrating you wouldn't think that two fairly mature married people should get into a fight about how to put dishes in the dishwasher <laughs> or toothpaste or laundry or uh, chicken versus pork chops to feed the guests who are coming over tomorrow, but it's always about the dumb little things in real relationship of any sort. Um, it's so simple communicating about these things and yet so often challenging and frustrating Parents, talking about the birds and the bees with your preteens, you don't need an instruction manual. You don't need to, to look things up. You know it all, but, and it's, so it's simple, isn't it? But <sighs> figuring out how to broach the subject and coming up with the words to make sense out of what you are instructing, it's a whole different story. Not so simple. One of you um, a couple of months ago told me about... <clears throat> 20-somethings 
newly hired by your company, that you were shocked that smart, personable college grads who had gone through a rigorous interview process and been selected by your company as the best of the best could hardly manage to engage in casual conversation at a company dinner. Um, off in the corner, like seventh graders at their first dance, not knowing in paralysis how to engage with other human beings because, yes, this is a stereotype, but this person was just remarking how things are very different all of a sudden with this generation because so often that generation leans on a mini digital keyboard on a backlight screen to effectively communicate. Talking with other adults, simple, yet so often challenging and frustrating. Why do we think prayer, communication with God, would be any different? It is simple. Talk to Him. In a child, like, you don't need to teach a little girl how to talk to her daddy. She just does it. She assumes she has a right to tell him what's on her mind, ask for candy, whatever. It is simple, but we need instruction from Jesus Himself to address our ignorance and ineptitude. I just came across this report put out by the Christian think tank called the Babylon Bee. Some of you have gone to that source for uh, hard-hitting fact information. A study revealed that the average Christian spends... 37% of their prayer time uttering the word just. Quote, this new study confirms the suspicions of most English-speaking evangelicals that over one-third of all words being spoken in prayer are just the word just, says Scott McConnell, Associate Director of LifeWay Research. Literally, more than one of every three words spoken in prayer are that single word. And you've heard it. Lord, Lord, we're just so thankful just that you bless us just now and just that you show us that you're just. <laughs> uh, you know, the reason satire brings about chuckle is because there's just enough truth to skewer us <laughs> because we know it's embarrassing. We don't just need to start praying. We need help figuring out how to pray, biblical, Christ-honoring prayers. Tim Keller made me aware of something in his writings uh, that's easy to confirm for a pastor. He says, it's much harder to pray for 30 minutes than it is to preach a sermon for 30 minutes. Now, your immediate instinct might be, no way, because the thought of standing up here in front of a crowd teaching the Bible for any length of time is just about your worst nightmare. He'd say, I, I, I can pray for three hours uh, before I would try to preach a sermon for 30 minutes. And it, and it might be surprising for you to hear a pastor affirm that um, anecdotal truth. Somebody who supposedly has the background in education and who does this just about every week should be comfortable and familiar. But here's why he says it's harder to pray than to preach a sermon. I've never been in the middle of a sermon and suddenly started thinking about that shelf I need to put up in my garage, and do I have enough number 10, two-and-a-half-inch screws in my little drawer? In the middle of a sermon, I've I've never been distracted by uh, uh, light bulbs that are out or buzzing flies or the little child in front of me who's drooling. I've never fallen asleep mid-sentence. I've caused plenty of you to fall asleep (laughs) mid-sentence, but that's... You know, we'll talk after the service. That's a whole other story. Um, but 
in contrast, on my knees in prayer in my living room, has there ever been a 10-minute stretch in which I have not been distracted? Three minutes. Has there ever been a a few-minute stretch when I have not forgotten that I'm on the line with the creator of the universe who condescends to listen intently to the overflow of my heart that crosses my lips, if it's even audible to humans, but He hears it. Prayer is so simple, yet so challenging and frustrating. It shouldn't be, but it is, and that leads us to the first words of the prayer that point to access, incredible, hard-to-believe privilege, our Father. A few years ago, I was having dinner with a guy I was discipling and prayed before our meal uh, and started eating and uh, didn't think much of it. Later on, he said to me something that I'll never forget. He said, I'd love to be able to talk about God as my Father like that. And I needed him to, re- to, to remind me what I actually said because it was pretty normal, pretty nondescript, pretty not special. And um, what I'd say is that there's something really appropriate about that longing, about that awareness of dissonance. I'd love to be able to talk about God as my father like that. Now, look, there were no flowery words. There, were, there, were, there was no highfalutin, deep philosophical, theological language in my prayer that he was saying, oh, one day I'll be able to pray like that. I, I just called God Father, you know? Um, and I'm not one to draw out the prayer before the meal because I'm hungry. So I didn't get into much, okay? But there, there's something proper and healthy about that sentiment on his part. Because if we think nothing of addressing the creator of this universe in such familiar family language, we need to learn a lesson. We need to be reminded of some core things, uh, especially the difference between us sinful creatures and that holy singular creator himself. An Old Testament worshiper simply did not address God as Father. Yes, it's absolutely true that God described Himself in the Scriptures through the prophets as a father to the fatherless. He described Himself as a father to David's uh, kingly line of descendants. He described Himself as a father to Israel as a nation. You will be my son. But addressing the Lord as Father, that was unthinkable didn't happen. In fact, even by the first century, when there are some uh, evidences of writings that referred to God as Father, extra-biblical writings, even, even in that context, when Jesus did just that, the religious leaders who heard Him were ready to stone Him on the spot because they thought it preposterous that any human being, and of course, they didn't realize He was no mere human being, He was God and man, it, preposterous that any human being would think that he has that kind of privilege to talk about that far-removed God with that kind of intimate language. Who do you think you are? Blasphemy. And yet, by the way, Muslims would say the same thing today. Who are you to refer to God as Father? He is entirely other and separate and different, which He is, but biblical Christianity would say at the same time, that He's transcendent, He's imminent. 
He's close. He's intimate. And Jesus tells his disciples unambiguously that this is the most natural way to approach the king, to come as a child to a parent and call him father. So there's something foreign about it that should remain with us, that dissonance, and yet something so familiar and natural that we need to grow in appreciation of it. The ancient, uh, ancient church prayed the Lord's Prayer with these introductory words, grant that we may dare to call on Thee as Father and to say, Our Father who art in heaven. Every time, at least for a stretch of time and in a particular context, there was this preface, this introductory phrase, recognizing that maybe I shouldn't be doing this, but Jesus said I could. <laughs> Our Father. Something so foreign. Don't take it for granted. Recognize that it shouldn't be like this, calling the creator of this universe Father. But at the same time, as a child, recognize that you are invited to. Um, there's something that should be wrong about claiming access, not just to the Oval Office, but to the heavenly throne room itself. And yet, at the heart of the message of salvation is this reality that we read, for example, in the book of Hebrews. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, the most holy place was the inner sanctuary of the temple, um, and, and only one man once a year could enter into it. It was, it was a representation of the presence of God, so holy and other that it was sacred ground. This author in Scripture is saying, we have confidence to enter the most holy place, all believers in Jesus, uh, through what uh, means? By the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is His body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. Amazing. Access is freely offered to anyone who believes in what Jesus has done for them on the cross, in offering Himself as a substitute sacrifice, in suffering hell that sinners like you and like me deserve. Not only are we allowed, but we're invited, expected to draw near to God with full assurance and call Him Father. At the heart of what it means to be rescued from sin and death are these promises, these benefits. I don't have them up for you, but just a, a sampling of, of, of truths that go hand in hand with this invitation to call God Father. In John chapter 1, verse 12, we discover that belief in Jesus grants a person the right to become a child of God and therefore to call Him Father. In Romans 8, there's an amazing wealth of teaching here about the Holy Spirit, but these are three things that the Spirit does in the life of the follower of Jesus. The Holy Spirit brings about our adoption as sons and daughters brings us into the very family of God, gives us that status that cannot be taken away. The Holy Spirit um, confirms this reality in the life of every believer in Jesus, assuring us that this is true, confirming to us when we doubt. And thirdly, um, the Holy Spirit enables the believer to cry out, Abba, Father. Abba being an Aramaic term of endearment. 
that is probably not as casual as our English daddy, but is certainly less formal than the title father, something in between. The Holy Spirit does all that. And Jesus' first words of instruction reflect the wealth of the good news of salvation that He's brought about. You know, this is one of the reasons why um, we like to give you a heads up that the Lord's Prayer is coming, Um, a cue, if you will, something along the lines of, as we pray together in the words that Jesus taught us, because if I'm leading worship and I launch right into the Lord's Prayer, you know, it... your brain, if it's like my brain, takes about like 1.8 seconds to figure out what just happened, and our Father is gone. And what I've done is I have robbed you of that um, unique moment to address the King of the universe in family, intimate terms. That's amazing. And yet for any follower of Jesus Christ, that's the most healthy, most natural thing that you could do. In relating to your Creator. Lastly, praise. It's reflected in uh, our Father who art in heaven, but also in the phrase that we'll treat on its own next week, hallowed be thy name. Um, These words, as I mentioned already in our intro, reveal something important about prayer, that there is no prayer without praise. You can't separate the two. Um, In that sense, the two parts of our sermon series really are one, even though they're two different words, two different colors, and we'll treat the Lord's Prayer on its own and then move on to a few weeks uh, of focus. And the beginning of this prayer models that. Um, Right away after access, Jesus points our hearts heavenward and points out that God it exists on a different dimension, a different plane, the heavenly dimension. Not, not necessarily up there as in gaining altitude, but something, something, something so different um, from the earthly dimension. And by the way, um, you know, this, this may change. This is not written in stone, but we, so far we've kept the older English phrasing that uses words that we don't use in any other context of life, like art or thy or hallowed. And, and part of the reason has been that this prayer has such a rich connection to the past, to church history, but also to, for some of you, f- your personal history. There's a rhythm to these words, um, and that familiarity is also linked to this sort of sense of family. And along the way, if there are words in the prayer that are hard to understand, that, are, that, that make it difficult for you to really fully understand what it is you're praying, well, that, that means this series is long overdue, and hopefully we can uh, fill in some of those gaps. Um, but as we see Jesus pointing us heavenward, orienting our hearts heavenward, heavenward, can I paint with a broad brush for a minute and boldly tell you something about yourself? Do you know why your heart is unsettled? Do you understand the dynamics around why anxiety affects you, why life sometimes overwhelms you with fear and insecurity? It's because your heart needs to be recalibrated by praise. You're out of whack in your relationship creature to creator. And praise can fix it. You know, my yearly Bible reading um, has me in the book of Job right now. 
and I got through the exciting part, chapters 1 and 2. I have 40 left. Uh, Take a deep breath. But in chapters 1 and 2, a lot of action happens. Job is a righteous man of God. Satan gets permission to afflict him, and in an instant, Job loses all of his wealth, represented in the livestock, and all of his children die. And it doesn't say this, but presumably all of his grandchildren, they had households. Almost every servant that he uh, had, except the ones who ran to report to him the tragedy, they all die. The houses are destroyed. And then in chapter 2, that was only chapter 1, chapter 2, he's afflicted physically. He loses his health, his vitality. He's in deep suffering. And um, for 36 chapters, more, 35, Job and his friends sit around. I picture a campfire, (laughs) um, kvetching, sharing agita with each other, complaining, questioning God coming up with explanations for why God may have done this. Um, There's all kinds of speculation, but it quickly ends when God shows up (laughs) and He speaks, chapter 38. And He doesn't answer all the questions. In fact, He doesn't answer hardly any questions. He didn't say, let me take five uh, five minutes of Q&A and satisfy all of your questions first, and then I have a speech to deliver. God shows up and immediately starts to talk about his character. He begins to reveal who he is. He pulls back the curtain on the heavenly dimension and starts asking questions. Um, There was one slide in in the song Indescribable that we sung that's, I would say, if I got into the minds of the lyricists, he or she was reading Job chapters 38, 39, 40, and 41. Um, I'll paraphrase. I have to sing it, but you don't want that. Um, you know, who, who told every lightning bolt where it should go? Who um, has ever seen the storehouses of snow? Who, who set the sun on its course? Uh, the, the first question I think that God asks is, where were you when I laid the foundations of this earth? And Job does what any human being on the face of this earth would do in the face of that. He looks down and he shuts up. I have any questions, God. I, I was just mumbling to myself, you know. Um, in the presence of sheer majesty and pure holiness, he looks down and he shuts up. He actually says a few things, five verses in chapter 42. I'll, I'll read a couple of phrases. Um, Surely, God, I spoke of things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. Stupid me. I shouldn't have opened my mouth. And then verse 6, therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. What has happened? All of his questions, all of his friends' speculation, it's still out there, but it's no longer important at all. It's irrelevant. Why? Because praise has recalibrated his heart. Oh, yeah. Never mind, God. I I don't need any questions answered. I don't need you to explain why I lost everything except a harping wife, which is true, and um, I'm penniless and I'm in constant pain. I don't need you to explain any of that. I'm sorry. All I needed was a glimpse of God, like a satellite dish that is pointing a tenth of a degree off in the wrong direction that needs to be nudged and pointed in the right direction and then everything, this connection between creature and creator is restored but most Christians don't know how to do this. 
you know the acronym? Have you ever heard of ACTS, A-C-T-S? It's up there for you. Um, it's a helpful structure to prayer. I would dare say we never pay attention to this helpful acronym because we jump right to S, supplication. You know, I need stuff. I need answers to my problems. I need help. And maybe every now and then we think to pause and give thanks for what God has done. Usually, you know, a circumstance that we say, hey, God, thank you. Thanks for stuff. Thanks for a little bit more money. We spend very little time in confession. Um, And that's part of the reason why we retain it in a corporate worship service, because it's important for us to realize that the rhythm of the gospel necessarily involves repentance and confession. We do that every Sunday. And along the same lines, the A, we tend to think, that's something I do at church. I sing praise songs. But in prayer, it's almost always skipped over or short-shrifted. I want you to do a little bit of homework. And this is a diagnostic of your heart. I want you to spend 10 minutes in prayer today when you get home. And if you can't spend 10 minutes, spend three minutes in prayer, okay? But here's the careful instruction. However many minutes you spend in prayer, I want you to only pray adoration. And when you start finding yourself asking for stuff, stop yourself, (laughs) repent in dust and ashes, and get back to adoration, And when you start uh, giving thanks or confessing sin, just stop yourself. There's a place for that. It's a healthy element of prayer. Stop yourself. Try to get back to adoration. And if you cannot string together three consecutive statements in adoration of who God is, then you've learned something really important about yourself. Even if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, what you've learned is, I don't know God nearly enough to adore Him to praise Him. Imagine you and I don't know each other, and we're invited to a dinner party of a mutual friend, and we grab our plates, and we happen to sit down next to each other, and we start chit-chatting like adults do, right? Um, And then a few minutes later, the host stands up and says, Peter, I want you to um, uh, tell us something about uh, your friend sitting next to you and um, share complimentary things. And I, uh, well, um, he seems pretty normal, doesn't strike me as a serial killer type. Uh, you know, he's well-groomed. He chews his food before swallow. I mean, you know, I don't know him. But if you were to ask me to tell you about all the things that I admire about Cedar, you better have a comfy chair in a few hours of your time because I know my wife, and I delight to share um, not adoration as in praise and worship, but complimentary things because I know her. And if you can't adore and focus on who He is in order to recalibrate your heart, you've learned something critical to your spiritual vitality. How do you get to know God? Through His Word, first and foremost, that reveals His compassion and beauty, His power, His wisdom, His grace and mercy. And you get to know God through observing how He's at work in and through His people. In grace stories, listen carefully. This is what God's up to in, in, in people just like you. Through His people, watch the impact that God is having in the lives of others to whom we minister. 
yes, in the, uh, in the community, but also, you know, go, go down to Open Door on a Monday and Tuesday and see what God is, how God is using His people in the lives of neighbors. That's how you get to know God and praise Him as a result. Look, part of the reason we skip or we rush through praise and adoration is because we're so desperate to get in some requests. God, I have a big exam tomorrow. I need some help. Big interview. I really want this job so I can pay my bills and advance in my career. I, I, I need some help with these finances, this dilemma of this path or that. And, and you know what? God does not neglect those because asking for daily bread is in this prayer, and we'll get to that in a few weeks. But Jesus says, not yet. What your heart needs is to be recalibrated vertically with your king in praise, not yet. Praise recalibrates the heart with this awareness of and focus upon this incredibly unique, awe-filled nature of biblical prayer that sinners like you and like me could have any access whatsoever to the presence of the King of the universe, all made possible because His Son, our Savior, laid down His life to give us that kind of access. Let's pray. And then we're going to pray the Lord's Prayer together. Father, what privilege it is to call you that. And I ask that as your Spirit works in us, especially this week and the weeks ahead, that you would help us to pause just at that word and marvel at all the aspects of your gospel promises that are true because Jesus has given us access, because he has instructed us invited us to join Him in calling you Abba, Father. So, Father, fill, us our, fill our hearts with praise. Fill our minds with the new dimensions that we uh, ignore, we've never noticed, we skip over, new dimensions of your heart, all of which are praiseworthy because you are perfect in every way. You are limitless in your love. You lack nothing. Oh, Lord, how we will spend eternity And when we've been there 10,000 years, we've no less day to sing your praise than when we first begun because we will continue to discover praiseworthy attributes of who you are. Teach us now, we pray. And hear us as one body as we pray together using the words Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever.